0: Hello and welcome to this, our third part in this series on the letter to Titus. It's the third part, we're looking at chapter three uh, and we'll be finishing our look at this letter uh, in this session. We're going to read the whole of chapter three in a moment but let's pray before we do that. Father would you bless us with understanding by providing us with your Holy Spirit. Would you keep our hearts soft that they are able to be shaped by you, as we read and consider uh, what the Bible is saying to us. We thank you again uh, for the Holy Spirit that inspired Paul to write this letter, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will inspire our reading of it too. Amen. So uh, here we are at this third part. You're watching uh, WBC Online. My name's Mike. I'm the pastor at the church here, uh, and. I'm reading this chapter from the NIV. It says this. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these things are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Xenas the lawyer and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the face. Grace be with you all. Well, those are the last verses. That's the last chapter of Titus. And if you've looked with us at the previous two chapters, you will identifies some common themes running through. I think I've said before that there are some sort of repeated approaches that the New Testament letter writers uh, would come back to over and over again. And I think we see this uh, from Paul in a couple of different ways in this chapter. First of all, you'll notice in uh, verse 2 that he says um, that the people are to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward Everyone. Those those ideas of being peaceable and gentle are consistent threads. And what's interesting is that um, they they seem to dominate New Testament writing in a way that um, sort of saying have good doctrine doesn't. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that good doctrine doesn't matter. I would hope very much that you would believe it does. And I'd hope that I'm reinforcing that when I'm talking about the Bible. However, the thing that the writers seem most need, these writers most seem to need to repeat is the the call towards a certain attitude and behaviour within the community, particularly, I think, within the community of faith. It echoes back, doesn't it, to when Jesus says the thing that will make you recognisable as my disciples is the love you have for one another as disciples, the way you treat each other is a big part of how you show that you belong to me. Another big part is telling people that we belong to Jesus and that we trust him. But our behaviour has to bear that out. And this, I think, is the second theme that's a repetition. So Paul says, Remind the people to be subjects of rulers and authorities, this is verse 1, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Now again, uh, we have this... Uh, repeated theme from Titus 1 and 2, that it's not enough just to have good doctrine or to have sound theology. What matters alongside that is what that good theology does to the way that you live. I remember that theology isn't something special and academic, it's faith-seeking understanding. So it's a a developing uh, grasp, I suppose, of what God is like and what that means for us on a day-to-day basis. And so theology has a lot to do with how we live. We called that ethics earlier in this sequence. And Paul has been very keen to encourage Titus to lead the churches on Crete, which is where Titus is, to follow Jesus, not just by thinking the right things uh, or having sound doctrine, but also by living out that doctrine. He's really keen that there isn't any um, separation between good thinking and good ways of living godliness was the way he put that in chapter one, verse one so i'm I'm laboring this point a little bit but on purpose because i think a large chunk of this um, passage um, particularly i suppose verses um, one and two but kind of all the way through from one to eight is a way of paul reiterating points he's made previously now you may feel uh, that it's perhaps unnecessary for somebody who's teaching to make the same point over and over again. But I think, I think those of us who've been in churches for a while, whether that's you know, a few months or a couple of years or 20 years or more, would probably, if they were honest about it, say that churches very often need reminding of the same things over and over again. Disciples do. We tend to, if not exactly forget, then certainly not to live out necessarily the way we should do all the time. So given that uh, Paul has said to Titus earlier in the letter, you really need to get leadership sorted in these churches town by town. You need to appoint people to provide sound leadership and you need to appoint people who are going to uh, express and model good values uh, as well as being able to hold to sound doctrine. Um, That Paul is probably more likely to be repeating himself because there are things that he really wants said And he wants them to be said clearly. And if that means he needs to repeat himself in order to get them understood, then that's what he's going to do. Um, There is an an old saying uh, in PR, and I worked in PR before I was doing this role. And I I know some of you have heard me say it before. That you can't be confident that anybody has heard your message until they're bored of it. Because until they're bored of it, they haven't really realised that they've heard it before. And so it hasn't really sunk in. What this, If you apply that to the way Paul is talking, then you might reasonably say, well, if he feels there's a particular need to get a particular point across, then of course he's going to be repeating himself in order to make sure it's been heard. And that message is this. If you're going to follow Jesus, it isn't just about what you think or what theories you hold to or how good your doctrine is. It's just as much about how that doctrine shapes the way that you live. There should be absolutely no doubt here that Titus's job, as commanded by Paul, as Paul's representative, as indeed a representative of Jesus' will in churches. That Titus' job is to remind people what good doctrine is and how to live it out. The New Testament is absolutely full of ethical instructions, all the way down to be kind to one another. One of the first memory verses I ever learned was Ephesians 4.32, which says, Be kind and considerate to each other and forgive one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's a completely different letter, and it's the same author, but to a different bunch of people. And yet some of that same resonance of how to live in community is found there. Now, I have repeated myself in saying that Paul repeats himself, and hopefully that point has hit home. And so at this stage, I want to take a quick look at verses uh, 3 to 8, but then we'll go on from there. So in 3 to 8, we get, uh, well, let's have a quick poke at um, the first sentence in verse 8, which says, This is a trustworthy saying. I looked at that, and sort of it made me chuckle a little bit, because I then tried to find what the trustworthy saying was that Paul's referring to. I'm pretty sure it's not what comes next, because he then says, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. That, that I don't think he's referring to that as the, as the trustworthy saying. But what comes before it is this. Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Except that that's not the whole of the sentence. The sentence starts way back in verse 4. When the kindness of the love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so there's loads here is all of that a trustworthy saying maybe it is maybe Paul believes that that's you know quite um, quite a catchy little phrase that people might be able to remember I think I would struggle to see that as any kind of a, a soundbite, bite um, but Paul is very keen, and we see this through the different ways in which he puts this. He does this in Ephesians 2, he does it in Romans, um, he does it in Galatians as well, uh, and in Philippians. He's really keen to put across this idea that we are saved, not because of things we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us and how he has been good to us, choosing to come and live, demonstrate what um, fulfilled humanity is like, uh, to die, to be willing to be a sacrifice for sin, and to rise again, to go through that resurrection, um, being resurrected by his father, so that death might be beaten. So he really, Paul really cherishes these things and is reminding Titus, and through them, the churches that Titus works with, that all of the things that make our fulfilled life possible, all the things that make our ongoing um, belonging in the family of God, all that makes that work is a gift. It's all offered to us and for free. And in the context of that, good ways of living are simply our way of saying, now that we belong to this family, we want to do things the way this family does them. And Jesus sets up how that happens, which includes being gentle and peaceable and considerate. It's really important that we keep a couple of things in mind. One is that as Paul is consistent in saying in his other writings too, that we are sinful. We, we deliberately and negligently and carelessly make choices that don't reflect the love that God intends for the world, that don't reflect the justice that God wants to see in the world or that he would choose to see in the world. Choices that don't reflect the mercy of God's character, which we are encouraged to reflect as followers of Jesus. So we don't do things the way God has designed for them to be. That's all that sin means. Um, And that the response to sin that Jesus has offered, knowing that we step away from God, is not to say, well, you've made a mess, I'm going to let you suffer for it. You've made your own bed, I'll let you lie in it. But instead to come and get involved in the world and say, I am willing to do the things that need doing. So that uh, your sin, you're not living the way that God intends, that that might not be a barrier. That instead we might benefit from Jesus' sacrifice of himself and know God ourselves and follow Jesus. Just go back to that trustworthy saying, if I've understood it right. Having been justified by his grace, having been made right by his grace, by his giving by his kindness by his free gift we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life we might share in the way that Jesus will shape um, the universe beyond our own lives so that we might be part of the family of God in in a way that is complete and fulfilled Uh, consummated maybe is a good word or, or or made made right. Can you imagine a world made right? Can you imagine being able to inhabit a world made right and to be able to see and enjoy everything about that world and not to be limited by distance or time or just to be able to inhabit such goodness? That's what we are invited to be part of because of Jesus' gift to us. That it is indeed a trustworthy saying. And Paul wants Titus to stress that reality so that the people who trust in God might have a clear idea of what it means to belong with him and live as part of his family. And next, I want to have a quick look at verses 9 to 11. Before we have a quick look at those final remarks. And just want us to pause for a moment, reread these verses, and then take a look at them. Paul writes, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these things are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are walked and sinful, they are self condemned. this is a fascinating set of verses fascinating because paul is at pains to point out that jesus sacrifice uh, and his resurrection his death and his resurrection um, and his demonstration of of human human life humanity fulfilled uh are for everyone everyone is invited to, to share in that nobody should be excluded and yet in balance with that we have this idea that um Paul, it's absolutely okay for Titus to leave some people behind. Not because they're not worthy of Jesus' love and the gift of grace, but because they will distract him. They will use up energy that could be better spent doing other things because they are argumentative and, importantly, because they will divide the church from within itself warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time and after that have nothing to do with them have nothing to do with them this this leader this representative of paul who himself is a representative of jesus titus is being given permission to not waste time trying to persuade everybody if they won't be persuaded if they're not up for walking together as the people who belong to jesus living the way he calls us to live they're not up for that and they keep digging their heels in and insisting that they know better than the church together you don't have to waste energy on them now that is quite challenging isn't it i think as a as a community churches have felt very reluctant for a long time to um to let anybody go we don't ever want to lose anyone. And that's good and healthy. And nobody, I hope, within our fellowship or any other, would, would want people to step away from the family of God. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not saying, I want you to exclude people. He's only saying that where people are going to be divisive, don't waste time arguing with them or trying to persuade them because they're not reachable. They've decided that they know best. And so the responsibility for that decision and that way of living is on them, not on you. And actually, in order to care for the, the people who are not being divisive, you need to be able to give them your time and attention aside from and away from those who would be divisive. Now, you might say, what constitutes being divisive? You might say, if I, if I don't agree uh, with, with everyone, am I being divisive? And I'd say, I'd say no. I think what we see with Jesus is that when he gathers his entourage together, his, his closest companions, his disciples, he isn't looking for people who all think the same way. I think he's absolutely all right with that. We know, don't we, that, that Paul fell out with Barnabas and they ended up not travelling together. Um, but that, that isn't the same as saying that they no longer belonged together as um, sons of the Father, as, as brothers of Jesus. So we're not saying everyone has to think the same way in order for the community to work. But there are ways of going about that are going to be more divisive. They're going to be more inclined to break relationships or at least put them under strain. I think what perhaps bothers Paul most is when um, things are happening like people are are criticising the church behind the leader's back or criticizing doctrine, but rather than challenging it in public, uh, are trying to just pick people off behind the scenes. The word divisive here is much more to do with how they are influencing relationships with what they think rather than just that they think differently. And it's possible for really well-meaning and caring people to become divisive almost by accident because they are so passionate about a thing that those who feel differently about it, they find they can't connect with, or, or they, they want to try to steer the uh, the dialogue in one particular direction or another. But divisiveness is such a big deal. Paul talks at length uh, in Ephesians uh, and again in one Corinthians about the importance of unity. And unity, again, I would say, is not about everybody thinking the same way. It's not about only having one way of understanding things sound doctrine we know is really important to paul Um, he spent a good chunk of his letter talking about how important it is that sound doctrine that that, that good theology that that right understanding is taught and preached and defended and understood and shared Um, so in no way is paul saying it doesn't matter what you think as long as you get on but he is saying there's a characteristic thing that needs to be avoided and that's the characteristic of taking an approach to things that mean that people become split, where where bitterness starts to come in, where one person is briefing against another, um, where conversations are happening in little groups that stir up trouble. So, where do we want to land this? Well, I think, um, just before we get to those final remarks, I think what the rest of chapter three is doing is uh, is Paul saying to Titus, um, again, there's an important reality here of following through with what we believe and into what we do. So how we live is a result of what we think and what we believe. He's also at pains to remind uh, the people that their good deeds, their righteous behaviour doesn't actually um, connect them uh, with Jesus, what connects them with Jesus is the grace that Jesus brings. So we cannot reach Jesus on our own. We need him to come and reach us, or rather for him to reach us so that we might connect with the Father in the way that we see um, uh, reference described in Genesis uh, and in Leviticus. so he 's doing those things, but he 's also saying if you 're going to be a healthy fellowship you 're going to function like the kind of family. That you should, then you're going to need to be willing to leave to one side those who are just in it for a fight, or just who can't cope with uh, working alongside or living alongside those who see things differently. And there is the overtone, I think, because I think it's in some ways a reference back to the opening chapter uh, and Jewish myths. Is the phrase that Paul uses? There's a there's a little hint. Um, that this might end up being about the way in which people interpret um, Jewish law as a way of shaping how Christian community works. Uh, But I think it's not limited to that. Um, It doesn't say warn somebody who argues about the law um, and then warn them a second time. It warns of divisive people. And I think we need to take real care um, as a community of disciples ourselves that we call out divisive behaviour. That we don't just hope that the pastor notices or the leadership do something about it um, they'll, they'll spot it by themselves but we bring it to their attention divisive behavior shouldn't allow any it shouldn't be allowed to take any hold in our community so those final remarks as soon as i send artemis or Tychicus to you do your best to come to me at the copolis because i've decided to winter there help zenus and apollos on their way Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. There was a tendency in early churches to feel that because they were safe in Jesus, they no longer needed to do anything because Jesus would just provide for them. But Paul is fairly consistent in saying people uh, in churches should be active and contributing. They should be, if they can earn, they should earn so that they have something by which they can look after themselves and something to contribute to the community as well. So there's that reminder too. But apart from that, it's very practical. You know, it's how Paul is, you know, names individuals and, and tells Titus who to look out for and who needs, um, who needs to be taken care of. Uh, but also he makes requests for himself. Uh, this is what I need, he says, and, and could you come as soon as you're able to? And then finally, everyone with me, says Paul, sends you greetings. For all that this is a letter to Titus, it is, as we've said before, a letter to the churches of Crete. And in this phrase, Paul reminds those churches, not just that they are a community of churches, a network of churches on Crete, but they belong to something bigger. There are churches all over the Mediterranean world, and they all belong together because of Jesus. And those people who would be divisive, those people who aren't gentle towards everyone, They put that connection at risk. And Paul needs, really passionately desires uh, all the disciples to recognise that they have something to share and that what they share is the grace, the love and the rescue of Jesus who came from the Father, powered by the Spirit to make us right with him. And to show us what it is to have fulfilled, consummated, complete life. Life in all its fullness. Amen. As ever, we're going to have a look at three questions. Now we're going to use three different chunks of this chapter to ask them. So the first question comes from verse 2. To remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, I'm just borrowing verse 1. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. So question one is, who is hardest to be gentle towards? Don't worry so much about peaceable and considerate. They're important, but the purpose of this question is to ask about gentleness. Who do you find it hardest to be gentle with? Maybe it's somebody who is argumentative. Maybe it's somebody who's aggressive. Maybe it's somebody who's always made you feel small the answer the reason i ask the question is not so that you can feel bad about those who you find it hard to be gentle to not at all it's much more about saying i need to recognize where i find that gentleness hard because i need god to be in that relationship where the people i find it hard to be gentle to are the ones that i most want to do gentleness to and i'm not quite sure where to start but i with the holy spirit's help And with accountability to others, that's something I can work on. So who do you find it hardest to be gentle with? How might you talk to God about that? Question two we take from uh, verse seven. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Do you feel like an heir of eternal life? Do you even know what you think eternal life is like? The question here really is, think about what a totally fulfilled, complete life would be like. Imagine it. Imagine what's included and involved in it. As a church in the West, we've spent a lot of time over the last few centuries focusing more on... um, the fear of the alternative. If I'm not with Jesus, how awful might it be for me? That's true. You know, to, to face the justice that Jesus brings and then to find that we're not with him is terrifying. But I also want us to be good at talking about the wonder of being with Jesus and all that that will bring. I think we undersell the wonder, the glory, the excitement Of a life fulfilled, a life with Jesus, where there aren't any limits, other than the goodness, is that His goodness is all that we have. That sounds like a pretty good limit to me. I'd I'd rather be limited to only God's goodness and nothing else. So, can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what it would be like to live that, without restrictions, to be able to be unlimited by time or space or, or. Distance or whatever resources, but just to live a fulfilled, wondrous, good living life. Imagine what that's like. Dwell in it and ask God to help you aspire towards that and look forward to it. Question three just going to use that um, verse 10 as a prompt for this warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time after that have nothing to do with them i don't really want to encourage you to um, to consider people sort of irrelevant to your journey with jesus but i do want to empower all of us to be able to identify divisiveness and not to let it shape the church or indeed shape our own walk with Jesus. Have a little think uh, about people you've you've encountered, um, perhaps in the distant past, perhaps more recently, who have been a divisive presence in the church. Think about the the folks um, who have made it more difficult for you to feel that you are part of the whole fellowship. Now, the reason why I want you to think about that is not so that we can condemn them individually or together, That's not a good thing to do. But so that we can identify how they went about doing that, because we want to be able to identify the traits of divisiveness, to be alert for them so that we don't fall foul of them in the future, to be able to say to uh, the leaders of our churches, uh, in our case at WBC, to, to the deacons and the pastor here, I think there might be something divisive going on here. How can we put that right? So it's not think of awful people and how awful they are but it is think of the behaviours and can you identify what they are so that you might look out for them in future as we close our time together at the end of this series on titus let's pray father would you give us discernment would you give us um, humility Would you help us to be peaceable and gentle? Would you help us to hold the unity of your people as precious in our hearts? We thank you again for this letter. And we pray that Titus was able to be faithful to you and to help those churches on Crete. And we also pray that we might be able to provide some sense of leadership to one another, that we might know Jesus better and walk more closely with him as disciples. Amen.